From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. That was my joints popping. Oh my god! <laughs> That's my favorite thing when I'm like, I have to see all the time where I'm like, see, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, what was that? I'm like, it was my shoulder. And he's like, Jesus Christ, very bad. Yeah, like, it was my ankle. Ah. My ankle and my toes. I can usually Wait, pop. my favorite fucking thing in my movie is that there's a scene where, like, the lead one of the leads like bends down and you can hear his knees fucking crack every time he goes down. And it, cause I haven't gone through sound yet, but it's so fucking funny. Cause every time we would do a take, I'd be like, are your knees okay? Like I can okay. hear them through the door. That's and me you're going 24. upstairs. Me going upstairs. <laughs> my knees go. <laughs> and they have for the last, like, I don't know, 18, 20 years, maybe. Mm, Anytime crunchy. I watch, it just goes. You're like, well, it's fine. I'm still walking. I'll never be an assassin. That's okay. I I think they'll hear me coming miles away. I know. They're like, what is that sound? It's the bone assassin. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It could be like one of those urban legends. Do you remember like scary stories where it was like the. Oh my (laughs) God. The guy with like the the stump leg or like the half cut off leg that would go shkump. It'd be like that, but with my knees going. It's the crickle. It's it's the crickle crackle man. (laughs) Oh my god! This needs to be a movie. The crickle crackle man. The (laughs) crickle. I hope you're leaving this in. (laughs) I'm going to. Uh, listeners, it's, I should it's... T- I should take it out so you don't take it. Take our fucking idea, the crickle crackle man. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> My God. Uh, copyright that name. Oh, <laughs> uh, listeners, uh, welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into things that we've been watching, and it is the end of the year. I'm Terry. 
I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking about a 21st century take on Agatha Christie, Frankenstein but make it horny, Being Famous 5 Ever, a really important documentary, and The Return to Burkittsville. Yeah, it's our last little cuts of the year. Weird. It's very weird. I This, I, this year has both felt incredibly long and non-existent in a very weird way. It is the weirdest year of my life, singularly the weirdest year of my life so far, I think. I think because I both accomplished a lot of really cool stuff, like, I directed a movie. Yeah. And, like, did a bunch of cool shit. And then I also simultaneously had, like, one of the worst years. It's very strange, like, and I think so many of us, it feels like a lot of people are kind of in that headspace this year, too. I feel like it's, like, accomplished a lot, but also... I'm emotionally beat down <laughs> from yep. the world and like every other thing going on. It's very strange. Yeah, it's been. I always want to complain, I but know. I'm like I shouldn't. <laughs> but like, as someone told me once, just because other people have pain and there are horrible things, it does not minimize your own pain. Oh yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't. It's hard to say like, I had a terrible year because like again, cool things happened, but it's just mm-hmm. like yeah, other no, really it's... weird things. Ha- other really weird things happened too. Yeah. But we're here. And you know what? I was telling myself the other day, I was like feeling really depressed just about like this year being like, Jesus Christ. But I was like, hey, you know what, bitch? You made it. You fucking did it. You survived. survived. You made it through and you did a pretty good job at it. So like, give yourself some credit. I'm like, God damn it. The therapy's working. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Man. But yeah, I know that we have been watching. I've been trying to, I've been both trying to catch up and not catching up as much as I want, but still catching up. So I'm excited. I finally watched one of the things I really wanted to watch for the end of the year, but we'll get to that after we talk about a 21st century take on Agatha Christie. Yes. So while I have been trying to watch screeners for Gallica FYC, I've been really movied out. And so I've been like, I just want to sit and just binge some kind of show. And luckily for mm, me, okay. Britt Marling's uh, new show, Murder at the End of the World, has finally all oh, the episodes yeah. are out. And so this weekend, I binged um, A Murder at the End of the World, which I absolutely loved. It's almost as if Britt Marling had like a window into my psyche and was like, I'm going to make something that is perfectly here for Terry because it's isolated. It takes place in a snowy, isolated place. It's a murder mystery. There's queerness of abounding everywhere. Like, the only thing that could make this better is if it was set under the ocean. You know, like, that is the only thing that would make this better for me. Um, so this is about Darby Hart, played by Emma God Cohen. damn it. What a fucking name, Darby Hart. I know, right? Darby is a, a Gen Z kind of sleuth. She, her, her father, I'm going to say her. I know Darby goes, or I'm sorry, I know Corin goes by they, them, but I believe the character is... Is she her in this? So Darby is a sleuth. Her father uh, was a is a mortician or works like uh, doing crime scene type of like autopsies and stuff. She's been raised in that. At one point, she and her kind of she she discovers this guy named Bill, played by Harris Dickinson, who's having quite a year too with this and Iron Claw. And oh, that's where he's from. Okay. okay. He's also was in Kingsman and Beach Rats. Oh, he's in Triangle of Sadness. And Triangle of Sadness, one of my favorites from last year. Yeah, he's a good Dang. actor. He's also really cute. Dang. And Bill end up discovering in the past a serial killer and end up uncovering who it was. And she writes a book about it. 
the event has like destroyed her and Bill's relationship. And now years later, she gets this invite to go to a secluded retreat hosted by this billionaire played by um, played incredibly menacingly well by Clive Owen. She goes there because her favorite female hacker, Lee, uh, played by Britt Marling, vanished off the face of the earth and then all of a sudden is married to Clive Owen's character, Andy, the millionaire, the billionaire. And they are off in this retreat. And she goes there and finds out that that Andy has summoned a bunch of really smart people um, from across the world. They're there for some reason that's not immediately. And then when she's there, the very first night she's there, someone dies. I'm not going to say who, but someone dies. And they're saying that it was um, an overdose, but she doesn't think it was. And so she starts to investigate. Of course, it's in Iceland, secluded, snowy, beautiful, gorgeous. A storm starts to come in. They're kind of stuck there with a potential killer. And then through the seven episodes of this limited series, it's exploring this basically a locked room mystery, but it also has elements of hacking in it because um, Darby was is a hacker. Lee, Britt Marling's character, was a hacker. Um, so there's some hacking going on. There's AI. There's like an AI assistant that is in the picture. There's like so much going on on the technology side that it really does feel like, what would an Agatha Christie mystery look here when people have AI and hacking abilities and high tech? Huh. And it's so good. I really oh. enjoyed this series. I see. This is so funny. I've heard like a little bit about it, but I didn't really know anything. It's on FX, right? Is it on Hulu? Yep. Can it's you on, watch Hulu. It on Hulu. Mm-hmm. All seven episodes are on Hulu now. It's definitely a bingeable show. It's okay. really good. The episodes are a little like, long, like they're over an hour each for the most part. Oh, Jesus. But they're good. And it is. It has well, very good pacing. Oh, that's good to hear. Because I'm so used to like Britt Marling stuff being fantasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was you know wondering, I, mean? I yeah, and I was wondering if this was going to go in that direction. It doesn't, but there is a lot to okay. do with technology that does feel cool. very reminiscent of the OA in terms of like okay. verging into science fiction type territory, but also being not at the same time. I would say this is a lot more grounded than the OA if people were a little put off by some of the weirdness of, of the oh, OA. This is definitely okay. a lot more grounded. Okay. Because like... I liked the OA until I didn't like the OA. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I do know what you um, mean. Yeah. And I've heard good things about this. And it's got a cool cat. Alice Braga's in it. And I love yeah, her. She's great. And it looks The cast like is uniformly fantastic. Related. Well, like Britt Marling and Zal Bat Mongli, or Bat, Bat Monglij, which is, I think, usually her writing partner. They usually, I mean, even if it's not my favorite, they're really good at writing really interesting stuff. So yeah, that's cool and to the hear. Because I think she's, so, I think Brett Marling's cool. I do I too. I think like she does some cool shit. Yeah. And the murder mystery here is really interesting. And even though I kind of like figured out a little bit where it's going, the implications of it definitely like stayed in my mind after I watched it. It was like, ooh, it's make it has me thinking about it days after I watched it, just because. It's so interesting and it's so intricately laid out and it goes back and forth, mostly set in this frozen tundra, but also um, her relationship with Bill before it disintegrated and and searching for that first serial killer. 
And so there's like parallels there and there's like connections there. And it's really interesting. I, yeah, I really, I really liked it. And the entire thing, it's a limited series supposedly, and it's all out on Hulu. So I would, I would, cool. I would totally recommend giving it and a shot. And Britt Marling directs a couple episodes and she doesn't ever direct. So that's cool. Yeah. She writes everything, but she doesn't direct. So it's cool. She got to direct a couple episodes. Yeah, and she did a really good job. Those episodes are, I think, some of my favorite. All right, so. cool. Well, I'm gonna have to see that. I'm gonna. I'm now going to have to watch that. And I, I love a good murder mystery. So. Yeah, me too. And this was a good one. That was felt very like now in terms of like technology and stuff. But also speaking of technology, in a way, I think it's time to make it horny. I am very excited to hear your thoughts, and I'm very excited to see this movie. So I finally saw Poor Things, the new Yorgos Lanthimos movie that is out now. And I, you know what? I wasn't sure. I was worried about the hype. People hype things up. It's Yorgos Lanthimos. People are weird about Yorgos Lanthimos. But I was very excited about this movie. So for those of you who are unaware, it's basically a Frank. It's a Frankenstein story. Uh... Willem Dafoe plays Dr. Godwin Baxter, who essentially puts the brain of a baby in the into a woman who has recently died and has cre- and reanimates her and creates Bella Baxter, his protege. And Bella Baxter is played incredibly by Emma Stone with uh, black hair, which is like incredible on her. And it is essentially a story of her of her brain growing from a little baby into like a fully actualized woman who realizes her place in society and also, but is also unabashedly herself and is not afraid to give in, like to cater to her sexual desires. And it's this incredible, fantastical story about female liberation and autonomy. And it's not necessarily saying anything like shockingly new about like women and men being kind of shitty. And it's like very much like obvious, but it's done in such a stylish, funny, smart way that it feels new. Like the whole thing is like men are stupid and like don't like women. And it's like, yeah, we know. But this just does it in such an interesting way, like using the Frankenstein kind of like framework. I know that this poor thing is just a book. Oh, is that it? Isn't uh yes. So poor things. Let me just like triple check that. Yes, it's based on the nineteen ninety two novel of the same name by Alstar Gray. Um, so poor things is an essentially an adaptation of. Um, Frankenstein, but it's from um, one of the characters in the movie's like perspective. His name is um, Archibald McCandles. But basically, it's about her life trying to figure, like her life figuring out sex and desire and socialism and mm-hmm. sex work and how pathetic men are. And <laughs> it is so many things. It's, it is, it is a Yorgos Lanthimos movie through and through and that it is like very dry, but it's very funny. I was going to ask and if it's, it was really funny. It's really funny. And like, it's, it's funny because I saw it in a, in a theater with like, it wasn't empty, but there weren't a lot of people. And like, it was funny. It was interesting to see how people laughed and if they got it. Because Yorgos Lanthimos is such like a understated, like his comedy is so like understated. You know, there's not like time for a punchline. There's not like this big moment. It's just like a lot of just really funny shit people say. And if you don't catch it, it's like, you don't laugh. But I was like laughing at the people weren't. And I'm like, oh, they just didn't, they did not understand like what word, weird wordplay this guy was doing here. 
And I love that. Like, Willem Dafoe's character is essentially, like, is a mad scientist who casually will drop hints, like, oh, yeah, my dad, like, took out all these organs out of me because he was trying to do science. And he learned it. And now I don't have any organs. And it's like, what? He's like, (laughs) yeah. And then it's it, it just like the all of these like such matter of fact weird things. And then and then but then my favorite is when characters go, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And then I start laughing even more because then there's that acknowledgement of it being insane. Yeah. So I love I think, that about that. Like it's very much his sense of humor in terms of just being like, "What in the hell?" And it's just like, yeah, that's just like the world he's created. It's just like. I think that's what I like about his stuff, even when I don't quite understand it. Like, I I, I need to rewatch Killing of a Sacred Deer because, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is not the movie I thought it was going to be. And so I was, like, resisting it at, at all, <laughs> like, all fronts. But what I do love about it is, is what you said, this, like, matter-of-fact weirdness. And that is something that, like, I've only, I've only seen two of his movies. I saw The Favorite and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. But matter-of-fact weirdness is totally describes him to a to a t yes lobster is very much like that so is dog tooth that's like he just he's absurd but what's what's different about poor things is that it is so directly set in like a fantastical Mm. type of victorian life like it's very it is incredible it's incredibly a fantasy it's not grounded it's like not really grounded in reality there's like dog like because um, Willem Dafoe's character is like a mad scientist, there's like dog creatures with dog bodies and goose heads, or like a French bulldog head and a chicken body, like walking oh, around. Man, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> it's like it's so it's like it's fun, and so it's because that's the thing. It's like it's smart, but it's not like I don't think it's trying to really say anything new. But that's not a bad. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just trying to be like, here's a really weird female character who like does not apologize for how blunt she is and like says exactly what she wants and loves to fuck and like drives pathetic men insane. And it's like, yeah, that's fucking rules. And like, it's just a is it joy. Sexy? It's, um, or is it just, no. Cause all the, I mean, all the sex scenes are like really realistic ish. Okay. No, okay. Realistic is not the right word. It's not trying to be like, provocative it's more like exciting that she's discovering the reality of sex okay Mm -hmm. so like the sex scenes are more focused on her like having pleasure and it's also like frantic sex it's not necessarily like sexy sex so it's one of those movies where it's really horny because she's really horny and she's all, all constantly talking about like people fucking her making her come but like none of the sex is necessarily like hot okay but it's like fun sex. It's, it's like, it's, I say reality of sex because it like, it depicts sex as being a little bit more like fun, a little bit more like, yeah. And her discovering that nature of sex and like the playfulness of sex, which I really like. It, it goes on a lot. It's, it's like almost two and a half hours long. Yeah. And it definitely, this is like the main complaint I've seen that I very much agree with is that like, it just keeps making the same point over and over again. In terms of, like, look, men want to imprison women and don't care about women. And it's just like, yeah, I got it. I got it the first couple of times. <laughs> right. I, I did get that quite. It's, so it's like, I just think there were some, it's like, there were some things where I was like, I don't need the guy's perspective. I just want hers. Like, I don't need to really see what these guys are doing while she's out on her adventures. Like, I don't really care. That's me personally. But I'm like, I would have 
I truly would have rather just focused on her the whole time rather than yeah. being like, because she goes off with um, an incredible, oh my God, fucking um, Mark Ruffalo plays an incredible little shit, little fucking I've heard pathetic he's great little. In this. He's just, everyone is just having so much fun. This is the most fun Yorgos Lanthimos movies because most of his movies are like really dark and like kind of grim. This one's not. This one's actually quite playful and quite warm and quite kind, which is shocking coming from him because a lot of his stuff is so fucking dark and just like, but this one is much more joyful, uh, which is cool to see from him, honestly, to see like that joy and kind of like vigor for life and watching a character kind of learn how to love the world and life and kind of it's. I forgot. It's quite heartwarming, actually. Weirdly enough, I forgot Christopher Abbott was in this. It's yeah. I, I so I I tried to look up as little as possible because I just like was so fucking pumped for this movie. And when he popped up, I was like, "What the hell?" Um. Yeah, he's at the end. I love. Yeah, him. it's again. It's a really. It's a really amazing movie. It's a little overstuffed in terms of trying to make the point that we all kind of got. Like, it's pretty easy to get. After the first hour and a half, you're kind of like, yeah, no, like, guys are shitty and want to control women and they get really shitty when they can't do it. Like, and maybe it's because I'm a woman, too. And I'm just like, yeah, I get it. That's again, I'm not saying it has to be some like revolutionary feminist text. I think it's just cool that a movie like a movie like this is out and people, a lot of people are going to see it in theaters. Yeah, I think that's really cool because like Bella Baxter is a cool character in terms of just like women being i read it too as like neurodivergent women like again she's has a brain of a baby and she's like learning how to be a person so like i know that that is the literal read but as the movie progresses and she's still very blunt it she feels like a neurodivergent woman who is unapologetic in her neurodivergence and like are you fucking kidding me like that's the kind of fucking character we need to see we need to see a horny <laughs> loud opinionated chick who is unabashedly herself and never apologizes for it. And is like, she's not a bad person. She just makes a lot of mistakes. And she's like, yeah, I fuck up. But like, that's just the nature of myself. And I'm like, shit, if I had seen this when I was like in high school, I probably would have had a much different trajectory. You know what I mean? Like, and it's really yep. interesting that like, it's written by a man, by a man, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. It's always very interesting. And again, like, this is why it's, it's like, you know, it's really, really hard to say like, men can't tell like stories about women because like, I think this is pretty good, like pretty well told and really like understanding the assignment. You're not trying to make some crazy statement, but you're doing it in a way with a character that is incredible and speaks to a lot of women who are like, oh, yeah, that's me. Fuck yeah. It just brings me a lot of joy that that exists. It's like... I didn't even, like, I just, I knew there was discourse. There's, like, discourse about her not having a period or something weird, and I didn't even look into that. Like, the discourse is discoursing, discourse, and I'm, like... <laughs> the discourse like, the in general fucking... anymore is, like, <gasps> I'm so glad I'm not involved. I'm not... Foul. I don't pay attention to I know. It, it's just like, I don't pay attention. I can't. I'm just, like, I'm gonna drive my... what are we even Oof. talking about now? <laughs> I know! And I was just, like... Why are, the whole point of this movie is that men are taking advantage of her, even though she's got the brain of a baby because men want women who don't speak. Like, I thought that, I thought we all knew that was the point of the movie. Why are we being weird about, like, consent issues in this? I know. And, like, there isn't, they really do interesting stuff with talking about consent in this, too. And, like, her having sex and people taking advantage of that versus her knowing when she's having, like, it's, and there's never, like, sexual assault. I mean, like, 
we could talk like that's a whole other conversation but like all of the sex you see Bella having she is consenting to and again that is a discussion about like her mental you know that's a whole other thing right but like there isn't any real feeling here I think of her being like sexually assaulted it's her like trying things out and being like eh, I didn't like that but not for me now, now I know so I liked that too it didn't like utilize sexual assault for her to like learn about the world because this is the kind of movie where i could very much see Ed- an edgelord director yeah using sexual assault but he doesn't he has her choose to become a sex worker and have rough sex and her be like mm, that was weird but i didn't hate it and i was like i love this like it's just like very matter of fact like nah, yeah it's i think it lives up to the hype again it's a little long drags a little it's very much like yeah i get it men are poopy and take advantage of women but it's a really just like delectable, delicious, like feast of a movie. And goddamn, the clothes are so good in this whole movie. All of her outfits. I'm uh, not a puffy sleeve girl, but I'll wear a puffy sleeve now because of the fits in this movie. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping to see it this weekend. I really want to see it. Yeah, I just i I don't have a lot of time. It's like a it's a holiday break, but like I'm doing shit with with people so i'm like i don't actually have a break but last night i was like i need to take myself on a movie date or like i'm gonna lose my mind and i need to see poor things like two weeks ago because i just like need it in my in my mm-hmm. eyeballs so i mean last note yorgos lanthimos i mean like really knows how to work with script. like one he picks good scripts to work with that have really well written female characters because i love the favorite yeah me too but i also think he understands female characters you know what i mean like have you seen dog tooth you haven't oh no. you haven't seen dog tooth i've only seen like the favorite in the killing of a sacred deer dog tooth is weird but it's like i think he has he has a respect for female characters that i think not a lot of directors have i have to like rewatch more of his movies to like to really dig into it because some of his movies like killing of a sacred deer and the lobster are like a lot about like masculinity and like shitty dudes but he also was really good at writing, like, badass, complicated... Not writing, because he didn't yeah. write poor things. But, like, he's really good at, like... Translating it Casting and translating these women to screen and making them so interesting. <laughs> and, like, not perfect, That's what I thought about really the favorite. fascinating. Yeah, and he does that with poor things really well. And it's really impressive. I, it's just really cool. Again, it's not impossible. I know men can do it. But it's just cool to see how he translates, like his female characters to screen. And I really appreciate that from him as a director. So that's poor things. Check that out, guys. It's good as shit. And like I said, it's not as like, it's not like kind of as obtuse as maybe his other movies. It's definitely his more kind of cheerful, a little bit more straightforward. Um, Definitely got his flares in it, but it's not, it's not killing of a sacred deer or the lobster. It's very different, like in tone and approach. Killing was, uh, was quite a lot for me to take in. Going from the favorite <laughs> to that, and the only reason I wanted to see it was because Nicole Kidman, and I'm a Nicole Kidman gay, and so that's why I wanted to see it. And that was a lot. <laughs> He's definitely gone into making a little bit more, like, commercial. Like, still him, but, like, a little bit more commercially attractive. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see him do another weird ass movie, but it like he's definitely working in like towards a more like commercial trajectory. Cause going from dog tooth to poor things is a very 
funny trajectory for him as a director. Anywho, being famous five ever. <laughs> yes. So what another is this? completely swing. Again, I'm watching a lot of TV. Okay. okay. And this is okay. So this is a show that got me back on my 30 Rock kick. Uh, and it's funny that I'm watching this while people are celebrating are you 30 Rock. so excited about 30 rock being all over twitter right now oh Every when i logged into up, twitter because like i'll be honest i have not really been paying attention to twitter that much but i logged in and i'm seeing like why is everyone talking about 30 rock and why am i not being tagged in everything because this is like heaven for me and it was like a brief respite from the drag of of, of twitter but okay this is a show called girls five eva that is on peacock I think it was canceled by Peacock, but it was being saved by Netflix. And so the third season is going to come out on Netflix in March. And I did not realize that this show was from a lot of the same creative teams that gave us 30 Rock and gave us Kimmy Schmidt. So it's Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who are the producers of this, among with many others. But they also produced and created 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt. And it oh, also was... Okay exec produced by Jeff Richmond, who is Tina Fey's husband, who did all the music in 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt. And he's oh. also doing all the music for this. So all of the like funny songs from Kimmy Schmidt and stuff, he has like his hand in. And this is um, this is a TV show about a girl group from the late 1990s called Girls 5 Eva that had, well, they were one hit wonder and their song was going to be famous 5 Eva because 4 Eva's too short going to be famous three gather because that's one more than two gather is the lyrics to the song and they were a one-hit wonder and now in 2023 or i guess 2020 maybe when this when this first started uh, a rapper samples their song and they get another shot at like fam uh, famous at being famous and so they get the group back together or those that remain there was five of them one is now dead question mark <laughs> And so there's four, four women. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it's really funny. <laughs> and so, like, there's flashbacks to them in, like, 1999, and it's all of them playing, like, younger versions of themselves except for one of them. And then it's also this other woman that um, may have died, unsure, completely. Cool. Um, yeah. But the cast is Sarah Borales. Oh. The singer, Busey Phillips, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who um, I oh. believe is like really big on like Broadway as well. Yeah, and she she was, um, in... she was in the original run of Hamilton. She yeah. was um Angelica. Which fucking yes, 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 yes. I love her voice. And so she is sort of like each one is sort of like a, a, a and then there's Paula Pell. Paula Pell is mostly known as a writer, but she did have like a. Um, guest appearances on 30 Rock as one of the characters' wives. Um, wives? One of the characters' wife. She's also a writer. She's written a lot for SNL. She wrote for 30 Rock. She's really funny. And so it is the four of them as adults trying to get back together and finding their groove as 40-something women. One of them, Paula Pell's character, she was like closeted in the 1990s and now she's out and proud as a lesbian. We have... Renee's character is Wiki, and she's sort of the Beyonce of the group. Busey, Busey Phillips's character is the religious <laughs> character um, that like was like in this perfect relationship with this guy who is obviously gay. And then we have Sarah Borales' Dawn, who wants to be a songwriter 
and she's she's not very good at it. But they're all trying to like recapture their essence of being a girl group from the 1990s, and it's so funny. It's so funny, and huh. it definitely. I've never has, even like, fucking heard of this. I'd heard of it, but I literally did not put it together that this was um from the, a lot of the creative team behind Kimmy Schmidt and Thirty Rock, and that made me want to go seek it out once I found that out. And it's on Peacock right now. The first two seasons, okay. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Um, one of the songs in the second season that they're working on is called BPE, Big Pussy Energy. Oh fuck yeah! Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is called Girls Five Eva. Girls Five Eva, one word. Is it girl with a Z or with an S? With an S. Okay. It should have been with a Z. Now that I'm thinking about it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it should have been with a fucking Z, but okay. But it's okay. great. It is. It's hilarious. It's it's very quick. They're you know thirty minute episodes. Oh, cool. Very funny, very funny. And if Sick. you okay. like Thirty Rock or Kimmy Schmidt, then the humor here is very on par. There's some really funny lines coming out of this. Cool. Misu has thoughts about the humor. What? What do you want? <laughs> she really liked it. Yeah, she should. It's great. That's Girls Five Eva, and I'm so excited that it's going to come to Netflix, and hopefully more people will know about it. Because oh yeah, I, I bet she wants to hit Netflix. It's going to fucking blow up. I bet I. I guarantee. That's Girls 5 cool. Eva. And now probably veering wildly away, a really important documentary. Yeah, I did not watch a lot of horror this week. Um, <laughs> again, I'm trying, I, I'm looking through all of the screeners that I have for critic stuff. And I was going to watch a couple things. And then this documentary popped up as like one of the available screeners. And I was like, I haven't watched a good doc. I haven't watched a lot of documentaries that weren't like true crime and I want to watch a good queer documentary. I'll watch this. And this is called Every But But Every Body. Not everybody, but every body. Okay. So two words. Mm-hmm. This came out this year. Uh, this is by one of the directors who did the RBG documentary. Um, I don't know how anyone feels about RBG or that, but this Julie Cullen, she usually works with another director, Betsy West, I believe. They make really interesting documentaries about uh, Betsy West, yeah. They make documentaries about you know, cool people and queer people. So they've done like, they did one on Polly Murray, who is a non-binary black lawyer. They did one on Julia Child, and then they did one on Gabby Giffords. And so, you know, they've done, they're kind of like very polished document, like kind of triumphant documentaries about people overcoming odds and like from like marginalized communities, a lot of white women. But... Everybody is just Julie Cohen, and it is about intersex people, and it is about educating the world about what it means to be intersex, which is not a topic a lot of people talk about. I think we, you know, we hear a lot of times, like, you know, you hear people talk about intersex people in, like, theoretical terms. You see, you know, the I in LGBTQIA, and it's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? And so this documentary is kind of like a pretty good quick comprehensive education on what it means to be intersex and the absolute horseshit medical things that intersex people are put through on a daily basis and the history of the treatment of intersex bodies and so there are three main characters in this that they um that julie interviews um they're all three intersex people who have different types of, like, who are a different type of intersex. There are, I think, over 40 different types of, like, 
ways ways to be intersex, basically. Oh, wow, like, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so that, again, like, so there's, you, you can be, there are, like, a lot of different ways that, inter like, a person can be identified as intersex, because it can be, it's how you're either, like, how your biology, like, do you have testes that haven't descended do you not have a vaginal canal like some people don't have vaginal canals some people are and like have androgen resistance um some people have xy chromosomes like again like and if i'm if i'm misspeaking on anything with intersexual like inter intersex people i apologize um i'm not as well versed on it but it's a really really good documentary for understanding how like intersex people have been treated because i think a lot of the time intersex people aren't really talked about in these conversations about queerness because um, I think a lot of times people talk about trans people, which is not a bad thing, but I think intersex people kind of get lost in the conversation because a lot of the time intersex people, a big thing in this documentary is, is talking about is how like doctors would see a baby born with like a displaying two, like displaying sex organs or like sexual care, like, you know, genetic, like characteristics in their genitals of both male and female. They'll say, oh, you should just do this now for your kid. And just, like, not have them have to live a life of not knowing what they are. And so there was this, like, again, like, the binary way we are thinking is, like, medicalizing these people's bodies and, like, putting people through hormone therapy as kids and having to go through hormone therapy their entire lives to become what a doctor said they should be and not letting a kid decide for themselves. Especially, and especially if it's, like, and a lot of, and, like, the big point, a bit, the big point of this is, like, it's surgery that's unnecessary. It's not, like oh, they're just displaying both sets of, like, sex organs or, like, characteristics of each. If it's, like, medically necessary in terms of, like, they will be hurt or, like, die if they don't do it, that's not the case in most of these cases. A lot of it is, like, you can let the kid kind of decide when they can consent to having these, like, big changes in gender basically forced upon them and how, like, this one of these doctors who was like the main intersex doctor for a long time essentially was like leading a lot of people to hurting themselves because he was like forcing them into these boxes that didn't necessarily like fit and for and basically instead of giving kids can like kids any kind of autonomy it's telling parents well here's what you need to do to make your kid one thing or the other and so the documentary and like I have a friend who is intersex and I've heard about some of this stuff before so like I'm lucky I was lucky enough to like kind of know a little bit more but like I don't a lot of people don't know like yeah and a lot of people don't talk about if they're intersex because people like there's a lot of these like a lot of this as the interview subjects in this like you could say are like passing as female or like oh that's a woman and it's like no actually this person has xy chromosomes and so they identify they, they use she they pronouns and so it's not as easy and so it's like a lot of people you might know intersex people but they're not gonna like you know they're not gonna tell you it's not like intersex people look inherently different or like have an inherently different vibe it's like they're really private about it because a lot of the time it's like their genitals and who the fuck wants to be like hey i have weird genitals because we all know how people act about that and there's also a really interesting discussion about, like, disclosing, like, well, your testes never descended, but do you tell them that you have testes? Like, indeed, it's, it's just, like, it's a very kind of, like, it's got, like, a lot of polish on it. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of these documentaries that's, like, very much, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a good documentary, but it's a necessary documentary. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know about intersex people. They don't know 
that like there are 40 up to 40 different variations of what being intersex can look like and that there are children being forced to go under these surgeries and like people are ruining their body like their bodies are being ruined by doctors for their entire lives so yeah it's 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 quick it's good it's definitely one of those again a documentary it's got like a lot of sheen on it and it's like very like kind of happy even though it's like dark subject matter but it's not a bad thing it's a really good like here is what intersex looks like can be and like here is kind of a history of intersex activism that I think as queer people we should learn about we should learn about every member of the queer community and I think intersex people are very often left out of these conversations of queerness and they need to be folded into the conversation much more it's and and they talk a lot like not a lot but they talk about this like intersex versus trans and kind of like how it can all you know it gets interlocked a lot of the time you know these people are assigned genders but they're not that gender. And it's just like, it gets, it's very interesting hearing these three subjects. They have like kind of talk about how they interrogated their own gender identity because of their intersex identity. And I think it's, it's a crucial queer documentary. It's not like earth shattering, but I also just think it's a topic that no one ever talks about or thinks about. And I think way more people need to talk about it. Cause like, yes, intersex people aren't like everywhere, but they're also not like super uncommon either. So, you know, let's not create shame around something like this. And again, like when people talk about gender affirming care, it's for intersex people too. Like intersex people need gender affirming care too. And so like, it's just another really interesting look at like how, binary i like but living on a binary in terms of identity is really silly because like biologically these people do not exist on the binary so why are we trying to force people to live inside of a binary um it's on amazon prime or prime video uh streaming now it's also on digital to rent but it is streaming it's in prime so it's an hour and 30 minutes i think it's a really important piece of queer work that came out this year and they interview and talk to a lot of intersex advocates and people um and their parents too which i think is really interesting they they get to kind of talk about talk to some of the subjects parents about like their reactions to trying to like do their best for their kids Mm. and showing how like it's really easy to blame the parents and you're allowed to be angry at the parents but it's so hard because parents aren't even given like the right information to make the right Right. decisions for their kids so yeah Hmm. That's everybody. Yeah, I saw the screener come in for that one, and I, I just, I didn't know what it was. I just, you know, I'm going through all my list of screeners, and I saw it, and I never even thought about it. But I just added that to my watch list because it's really important, as you, as you mentioned. So yeah, well, like I signed in to watch. I think I signed in because I wanted to watch the holdovers, and it was, it's they're both so from Focus good. Features. I know, and I didn't watch it yet. Because I saw everybody and I was like, wait, shit, I need to watch, like a, I should watch a good queer documentary because like it's end of year for Gallica. Like I should, I, le- I need to at least have seen some like queer stuff, more queer stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I highly recommend just, you know, learn up. If you don't know anything or really are like very unaware about intersex people and intersex stuff, highly recommend. Uh, speaking of documentaries, not really, but like kind of. Uh, sort of. We continued on our found footage journey in a very exciting way this week. Terry, what did we watch this week for our found footage series? 
we revisited the 2016 Blair Witch, and y'all, I think we as horror fans did this movie wrong. Back we then. did. We did Blair Witch so dirty in 2016, and Adam Wingard deserves an apology. <laughs> I, I, you know, and the thing is, is that I walked out of the movie theater going, I really enjoyed that. And then I did you too. see like the, the discourse online is like how terrible it was. And I was like, did I not see the same movie? And so it's been, gosh, it's been seven years since I probably have seen it. And I was, yeah. so I was like, I was curious to see what it was going to be like at home, seven years away, having seen a bunch of found footage movies. And I really, really like this movie. I think I liked it even better this time because now I have even more of a language for found footage after watching so much of it. Jesus Christ, the door just opened so abruptly because of my cat. <laughs> she wanted to talk about found footage. Was it about found footage? No. But, like, just the way that they... So this is Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard did Your Next, um, The Guest, uh, the Godzilla movies. Like, the big... Go- Those are the big ones, I guess, everyone... More people would know him for um, and Simon Barrett wrote it. And Simon Barrett has done, like, um, VHS segments. He wrote that movie and directed that movie, Seance. That wasn't my favorite, but, you know, what can you do? But he's written... About, he wrote... Yeah, he's written a lot. He wrote The Guest. He wrote You're Next. Yeah, so he's he worked a lot written, with Adam. He's worked a lot with Adam. Um, and he also wrote... Oh, I just realized this. He wrote uh, Godzilla X Kong, The New Empire, which is hilarious. So we'll see how that goes for Simon Barrett. Uh, did he really? Very interesting. Yeah, that's what the internet's telling me. Oh. He wrote it. Good for him. Whatever. Yeah. You know what? Get get that bag. But they basically pick up with the sibling of Heather Donahue going to look for her in the woods because there's another tape. A tape got uploaded online and it looks like his sister in a mirror. And he says, I have to find her. And so he and three friends go to the woods with... Callie Hernandez's character, I love her, basically making a documentary about his obsession with his sister and trying to get closure on what happened to her. And I really liked at the beginning how they kind of grapple with that. They're like, is this ethical for you to be doing this? And she's yeah. like, it's fine. I'm not exploiting him. And they're like, are you sure? Are, are and she's you like, sure, though? <laughs> well, I'm like, and I like that. I think this movie is having a lot of interesting conversations with itself about like, I think you could even talk like about thinking sequels and like picking things up and like not letting things die. I think it's a really interesting kind of look at that. But then they also, before they are officially in the woods, they meet up with the two people who uploaded the video that they found who are supposedly from Burkittsville, Maryland. And they're like, we'll only go with you and show you where you found this tape if you let us come with you. So they get two weirdo Marylanders to go with them. And so there's two more added to their party here. And... I forgot that the introduction of these two characters is going to their house and there is a Confederate flag underneath somewhere over the rainbow. And that is such a bizarre pairing of somewhere over the rainbow, which is inherently a queer thing, as well as this Confederate flag, which just speaks racism. And I'm looking at this going, what is happening here? And there's two black characters. Like half of yeah. the main group of people are black characters. So you, it's already that added. And that's funny in Maryland with the Confederate flag. Cause in my head, I'm like, no, but then I'm also like, wait, ew, I went to school in Southern Maryland where people would drive around with Confederate flags on their cars because people like, even because we're technically South of the Mason Dixon line. 
Some people love to say that we're the South, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But yeah, no, that's actually not too outside of the realm of possibility. Just in case anyone was wondering about <laughs> the Confederate flag being flown in Maryland. It's not, it's, it's more likely than you'd think. I know, which is depressing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so it's it's funny because like we talked about something that we can't talk about yet, but we talked when we were talking about that mm, about mm. drones, like... the use of drones in found footage. Yes, and I still am very disappointed that the drone does not get featured a whole lot in this movie. That is the one thing that will always that, that is the one thing about this movie that always bothers me. They have they have such a setup with them testing the drone like in the parking lot. And they're like, we're going to use it to like help us find our way or something. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. They're setting up a cool drone thing and they fumble. It's so bad. It's such Mm -hmm. a bummer. Like it really is. There's a, there's a couple good uses of drones in found footage, but I still haven't seen a good, like a really good use of a drone yet. And I'm a little, I'm waiting for it, but it's a bummer. It's a little bit of a bummer. But I think what I always forget about this movie is that for the longest time, it was, um, it was not, no one knew it was a Blair Witch movie. They kept yeah, just calling it The Woods. The woods. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember being so excited about it. I was like, what the fuck is The Woods? Like, because this came out in 20, they started teasing this in like 2016, 2015. So that was when like, I was out of college. I hadn't fully started doing horror freelancing yet, but I was like getting more into that world. And so I was so excited to hear about this. And then when I heard it was a Blair Witch sequel, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was so stoked. As we all know, my history with the Blair Witch. So, and I saw it in theaters and I had a great time. I was pretty impressed with what they did. I mean, it's so hard to make a sequel to The Blair Witch Project. Like, how do you even fucking do that? You know what I mean? Like, they capture lightning in a bottle. You can't do that again. And I think they did a really admirable job trying to take the mythology that already exists and expand upon it. Like, they try to talk more about Rustin Parr and the lore. And I really do appreciate how they try to take what happened in the original movie and explain it with like the time loop stuff or and getting caught. Like I love, I think that's cool as shit. I was, I, do too. I was super fucking into that. I'm like, exactly. Like that's, I think how you should do this. Like even, and this is, I think an example of a big swing that maybe people think misses, but it tries, like it really yeah. does try to like expand the mythology and not just remake the original movie. And I appreciate that as it's what it's trying to do and how it integrates new kinds of technology into capturing whatever is happening in the woods. My thought, what I remember leaving the movie theater and thinking this thought and then rewatching it, continuing to have this thought that this is an alien movie. Yes! Oh my god, we've talked about that. Yeah, because there's the big flash at the end, right? There's like the fl- like the lights at yeah, the end. Yeah, so there's like a lot of there's a lot of light, light, lightning, and then as well as yeah. the time violation, which a lot of people talk about in terms of like yeah. um, being abducted. Okay. There's these really weird creatures. There's a very so Simon Barrett at one point mentions that you don't actually see the Blair Witch in this movie, and so like. I'm like, isn't but there's a monster that we see right there, at one, oh, one yeah, point. There's, there's like there's a cop. Yeah, there's like weird things. Okay, I'm like, I saw that right. Like, I know I've seen this movie multiple times, and I'm just like, huh. Yeah. So apparently, um, 
he has said that I had this this pulled up somewhere now I can't find it but apparently there was an interview with with Simon Barrett that mentions that he's not actually in it oh interesting yeah so I'm like yeah that, that weird long-limbed white like the really cr- creepy pale thing that I thought was the Blair Witch but yeah well, because they set it up earlier in the film where they talk about how, like, you know, she was hung from a tree, but then she had, like, weights attached to her. And I was yeah. like, oh, they elongated, so this is what, what we're getting here. Yeah. But apparently not, according to this one interview well, with Simon. And, like, I love thinking about the Blair Witch Project as cosmic horror, and I think that Absolutely. this this lends to cosmic horror. And alien, I think aliens can factor into cosmic horror. And I just think that oh, this, sure. especially with the time dilation and, like, We've been walking around for five days and haven't seen the sunrise. Like, I'm sorry, I would be pissing and shitting my pants. What do you mean I've been walking for five days and haven't seen shit and been stuck in an infinite time loop? Are you fucking joking? And, like, that kind of unknowable, confusing... And, like, the... And again, like, we've talked about this before. The original leans into that. But this one, I think, put really, like, throws itself into the cosmic horror of what's going on. Which, again, I appreciate. It's expanding on what we already know and making it even more horrifying, especially because we have new kinds of technology and, like, the Blair Witch has gotten smarter. And I just think it's a really interesting kind of, like, taking what we have and making it feel fresh but familiar. And I still think they did a great job. I still I still forever think that... um with Ashley having that fucking wound and there's something in her fucking foot. Yeah, so I wanted to talk I wish they did that. more with that, but I fucking love that. Like, there's a lot of cool body horror happening in yeah. this that I wish they had more of, but they're doing something really cool with that with her. I did find this, um, and it's on Thrillist, which is... But there was this... Um, this discussion about the point because she like pulls something out of her and I, I yes! can never really tell what it is, but they say that it's it's bark and so they're suggesting mm-hmm. that that they're turning that ashley is being turned into like a, like a stick figure a stick figure that's what i thought when i saw it like she's getting turned into part of the woods or something like when i which is gnarly and i would have loved wasn't to see that, more of that cool i and i think that's the biggest problem with this movie is i think it's got a lot of really good ideas but i think it doesn't commit to all of like it commits but it doesn't commit to all of the weirdness like i think it could have been even weirder if they had like committed to like them turning into like tree people or or whatever i do think that that is that is my my biggest complaint on on a rewatch and thinking about it is that there's a lot of really as you said really great ideas there's a lot of really good sequences the 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 shot of ashley's foot and something's moving underneath it the part where she's pulling the the branch out when all of the like tents go flying up into the air which is again oh my god it's about like alien abduction because they're flying up in the air right and so like we have all this kind of stuff you hear the trees crunching in the background there's a lot of these really cool moments that you could take in a a variety of different directions and the movie never really commits to anything and so i do think that that might be my biggest complaint is that there's so many great little nuggets here that i kind of wish they had followed through on as opposed to being a bit more maximalist in terms of throwing everything into it in a way but i will say the third act i still love the third act in the house right i think it's really I think it's terrifying. They take again, like they take that end sequence from the original that we expect in the house, but they mm-hmm. again 
make it even scarier, like make it even weirder. And yes, like it's not going to have the same exact effect, but I, I think right. they know that like, you're not, you're not going to be able to have that effect. Like it's just, right. no, it's not your fault. It's just your, their Blair Witch sequel. And, um, this, this only had a budget of $5 million, which is pretty impressive. And Wild. it grossed 45.2. So like, good for them, you know? And so I interviewed Adam Wingard. It was this year. I think it was earlier this year, though. Was it this year? Wow. I don't remember. I, I interviewed him within the last year, I think, about, like, the guest. They did, like, a guest to, they did a guest to, like, concept soundtrack. And so I asked mm, him about the, right. Blair, about the Blair Witch. I was like, look, we don't have to talk about this, but, like, I love Blair Witch 2016. He's like, I'm glad you did. And he was like, Aww. yeah, you know, there are a lot of things I wish I would have done differently. But I will say, like, he was talking about how they were editing it and watching cuts and, like, weird things would happen in his house. Like, things would open and close and shit. And I was like, no, thank you. Oh. No, thanks. That was pretty cool. So it's like, I know, I feel bad. Because it's not a bad movie. I think it's really well done. I think, I think it really just, good. like, it's, it's like, it's fun. It's good. It's scary. I think they're, like, they take what we already know and make it different and they show us monsters and i just think people need to like this is going to start getting reappraised again soon i bet you it's getting up on 10 years soon and like that happened with jennifer's body remember when jennifer's body had its 10 year anniversary and everyone was like wait i love this movie actually this movie's great (laughs) so i mean like again you're gonna have a hard time doing a sequel and i think that this is a really admirable attempt at a sequel that is not retreading the same steps while also trying to be loyal to a classic and they did a good job with the i think they did a cool job with the found footage and just playing with the yeah. tech i love um, the on the ear cameras that they had yeah exactly because love like those. again and- it's it solves the problem of like why are you still filming which is one of yep. my biggest complaints in in some found footage is like, why are you still fil- why are you still filming? And I always find it interesting to see when movies are able to like put the technology to work for answering that kind of question. And this was a perfect example of that. It's on their ears. They're just running through it. They're not worrying about a big gas camera and trying to film shit. It's like they're running, and I love yep. that. Yeah, I really something I I think I. I'm just, I'm just starting to think about, and I thought about this was like the way that, especially when Lisa played by Kelly Hernandez is with the camera, there's like an intimacy when she's filming people, at least in the beginning, like people's faces. And I think it's really interesting seeing how found footage plays with that. Cause I think like with this movie, with these characters, there's like a lot of relationships going on. Like people are dating, people have been best friends for certain periods of time and Ever, there's like a lot of relationship dynamics going on. So I think the way they film at the beginning is really interesting to show like how she's establishing intimacy with the camera and establishing that kind of intimacy and trying to like understand the whole, all of the dynamics as Lisa's like a kind of an outsider looking in and everything. So I think this also does that. And I think the Blair Witch does that really well too. Like mm-hmm. they're not because like Heather and josh know each other but they don't know mike as well and so there's an interesting way they use the camera to kind of create that curious intimacy of like who are you how do i get to know you and there's tension the camera yeah and so like that constant like zooming in on people's faces and like close-ups but they're like what the fuck out of my face but it's like this really it's like a curiosity you're trying to like quench while also 
filming it's really interesting i just i love found footage obviously and i think it's just like seeing how those blair witches kind of tackle that intimacy in the beginning with close-up i think is really cool i agree i was thinking about that today just a fun movie but yeah it's fun y'all it's on hbo max um sorry max never gonna call it max (laughs) no like give it give it a give it a try again if you didn't like it and if you liked it watch it again because you'll probably enjoy it just as even if not more i think it deepened my appreciation minus like little little niggling parts it like it's still yeah but speaking of movies that deserve love that i think some people might have missed what are we talking about for found footage next week mary beth uh, yeah, because I also missed it. We're actually going to watch a found footage movie that Terry has seen and I haven't. We're flipping, we're, we're tables have turned, if you will. Flipping we're going to watch, we're watching Missing, which is out this year. And it's from the people who did Searching. And it is it's on in the same Netflix. universe. Yeah. So give it a watch. And then our last episode of 2023 is coming out on Monday. Terry, what are we talking about? We're talking about 2023, the best movies, the best sequences, the best scenes that we love, festival favorites that are coming out, our favorite discoveries from the podcast, both from Little Cuts and the main feed. We're talking it all. It's going to be a big celebration of of 2023. So we're going to put it to bed and it's going to come out on the very first day of, of January of the new year. So it'll be perfect. Perfect timing. I think I've seen most things at this point to make an accurate call i don't know who knows so we'll find out i'm excited to see what's on our list because there's a lot of weird shit out this year and my list is very weird so i'm very excited to see how my list is weird different like this i think they are going to be very different um because there's stuff on here where i'm like mostly i think there's gonna be some overlap but there'll probably be some it's just, it's very funny editing, like, the best of list for Dread Central, too, because I'm just, like, seeing what everyone else is liking, and I'm like, hmm, where do I fall? And, like, which weird shit am I championing in my list that four people have seen and that I refuse to let go of because <laughs> I need everyone to know about them? We all know my end-of-year lists are half of that shit. It's just, like, here's all the movies that you, that no one else saw that I became, I made part of my personality in 2023. And I think a couple of those movies are going to be crossovers for both of us. Although I think there's going to be one that won't be on mine. That's on yours for sure. Yeah. I think I know what it is. I think I know what that is too. Um. But I'm very excited. We haven't recorded it yet, but I'm very excited to, to talk. Very about excited. So look forward to that on, on Monday. Also to all of you fucking people who watched like 400 plus movies this year. What the fuck? I someone I saw said they watched over a thousand movies this year. I don't know how in the titty shit are you watching a thousand (laughs) movies a year? What are you counting shorts? Like I just I need to know a thousand. God damn! I thought I watched over three hundred this year, and I thought that was big numbers. That's rookie shit. I I'm I'm on a downward spiral apparently of movie watching this year because I typically watch over 300 and this year I have only logged 261 on Letterboxd, which I, I still know, think is a I, lot of movies. I just broke 300 and I was like, what the fuck? And then I was looking through my diary. I was like, oh, I was in Japan for two weeks and then I was making a movie for a month. So like I had at least almost two months of my year that I was not watching anything. And I was like, damn, God, I get those numbers up for now. But even though we're at 
felt like I was watching a movie every day. I was still watching a movie I know. almost every single fucking day. So it's like, how do all of you watch this much content? I don't. Jesus Christ. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> every year I have the same complaint because every year it's just very weird. And but that's fine. I cannot see it all. And I need to just remember that even though I would like to be able to see it all. It's just not physically possible. Uh, anyway, you've heard from us listeners. We want to hear from you. Did you watch anything that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for what we should be talking about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at nbmcandrews on Twitter and I am at nb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm a gaily dreadful everywhere. And of course, you got to follow the podcast on all of the social media. We are on oh. Twitter and Blue Sky at Scarred Podcast. And then on Instagram, we are at Scarred for Life Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And thank you to all our patrons that supported us this year. I know that there was a few months where we went on a hiatus. Um, but I hope that you're enjoying the, the the new stuff that we've been putting out. And thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts to help support us. We look forward to giving yes. you a whole lot more in 2020. Yes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate the patience with me being gone, uh, doing crazy movie shit in the woods for like a month and then life happening and going to Japan. So we appreciate y'all so much for just supporting us. It means the world to have people like y'all. And on that note, thank you to Eric Power for artwork and thank you to Sean Keller for music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next year.